Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Hello and welcome to the Fulhamish podcast, the independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is Sammy James. Thank you for joining us today. And right now, we are at the home of football, Craven Cottage, recording this show just over 24 hours before this place sees Fulham try and overturn a one-goal deficit to reach Wembley for the first time in 43 years. It's looking absolutely beautiful. We're sitting uh, in block AL of the Johnny Haynes stand. And uh, while we sit in this grand old ground, I thought only right that I got some grand old Fulhamish boys to host the show with. Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. Ben Jarman. Hello, listeners. And Don Betts. Hello, hello. How are we doing? How about this review? It's decent, not going nice. We're right next to my old seat. I think my first ever seat ticket was about 10 seats away. There's that line in that old video about the spirits of the founding fathers, and I feel quite, you know, spiritually raised by this sitting in the Johnny Haynes stand. We recorded at Craven Cottage last year, but Ben wasn't here for it. So it's your first experience. What are your thoughts? He's sitting on the Johnny Haynes wall right now. Yeah, I'm sitting on the wall of the Johnny Haynes, looking out onto what is, can only be described as probably the nicest picture I've ever seen. Uh, in person it just looks absolutely amazing you can't hear anything here it's just literally you know just us four in the whole of the stadium there's not another soul here it's just absolutely incredible yeah the only thing you might be able to hear uh, while we record the show is the odd plane uh, going over our head Uh, the Heathrow flight path is very much uh, in our way anyway I digress uh it was a disappointing evening on Friday as we came away from Pride Park with a 1-0 defeat. That's what we'll be talking about in this podcast before previewing uh, tomorrow's second leg here at the cottage. And Jack's got some three-word reviews that came in from Friday. I do. I'm particularly fond of the people who submitted like four to six three-word reviews each. David, <laughs> David Kettlehake came through with seven. Um, I think the best of which is not dead yet. There's a couple. Cameron Ramsey, who writes for us occasionally. Um, what panic button? Um, there's some, some good ones. Alfie, Zero End Product, um, and Lydia Campbell's I Still Believe is a, a classic one. And we'll, we'll end with a, a Fulhamish favourite, Drew Heatley, ours to take. Indeed. Well, before we look back at Friday, just to say that this season Fulhamish is backed by Lagbrooks. For exclusive specials and promotions, head to bets.fulhamish.co.uk. So, Dom, uh, we had a message um, from Brett Rowlands pre-pod uh, today, did see it. saying, uh, can someone please give Dom a Valium or three before you record? Uh, his negativity was frightening after last Sunday's debacle. Have faith, believe in Slav, it's only half time. For once, it's not negativity. It was, I was just saying how it is. Uh, <laughs> despite being one down, are you, feeling, are you feeling more confident after Friday, despite the defeat? I'm feeling confident because we're playing at home. And the performance, obviously, on, on Friday night was a lot better than it was on the previous Sunday. I thought at half time, the first half, we were quite cagey. But in the second half, I thought we played brilliantly. I think we just couldn't get the ball sort of where we needed it. We were controlling the game, and we only lost really because it's an absolutely wonderful cross from Craig. Was Craig Forsyth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Forsyth basically whips it in, and then Cameron Jerome beats Matt Target in the air. So, I'd, I mean, it's, it's not like we played badly at all. Obviously, we, we kept the ball really well. I thought Kearney was very, very good. He, he didn't really lose the ball at all, really. But I think Mitrovic just wasn't getting the service he needed. I think the wingers could have been a bit close to him, and that's why. Although it would, I don't think I don't think he was on the bench, but like bringing Font on in that situation isn't that bad of an idea because as a striker he's going to be closer to Mitrovic, and that's what Mitrovic needed. He he would get the ball and then there'd be no one within five ten yards of him. That's what sort of he needed. I thought that problem was remedied with the introduction of uh, Piazon in like quite far into the second half. We, we he immediately got quite close to Mitrovic and we really started to probe those like channel areas that Piazon likes to drift into. I think our, our main issue there was that. As you say, we didn't really get anyone close to him for the first 60 minutes. And, and when we did start to get people around Mitrovic is when we started to create chances. I, I think we also got stifled quite a lot in in the midfield. And we probably should have introduced Norwood much earlier than we did with 10 minutes to go. Because although it was only a short cameo, I thought he offered us quite a lot of impetus yeah. there from, from a deeper position. Another thing I was going to say is we were, although we did dominate the second half and we only finished one nil, we were quite lucky. Because there were certain chances where they were breaking through us and they messed it up on themselves there was one, there was one yeah. chance when they were running through and go I can't remember who made the mistake and I Lawrence thought okay slipped over I think Vitamin yeah. fell over yeah. it was Vitamin, I mean yeah. we although yes we, we shouldn't we wouldn't I mean, if we lost more than 1-0 it would have been a very undeserved result but I think we do have to be careful on the counter attack obviously I say this like, on every single podcast but if we get an early goal tomorrow, tomorrow night right <laughs> if we do get this early goal which we've only scored probably once and I think it was against Burton Albert which we won 6-0 like we, 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 we will breeze the game but if it gets half time 0-0 still 
it's going to be it's going to be hard because Derby are so solid defensively as we saw on Friday night. But yeah, I'm very I'm much more confident than I was. But I think it is just still annoying that we did do this unbeaten run, then we've just lost two of the most important games of it on the bounce. That valley my slip to you clearly working wonders. It's working wonders, mate. Working wonders. There's a couple of bits. I was having a conversation with a Derby fan this morning, and he said, you know, do you think that it's a little bit unfair that they said that, that McDonald said that we dominated them because in terms of clear couple of opportunities it wasn't really that much in it um, I said that if it had ended 2-1 to us I don't think there would have been particularly many eyebrows raised about you know in the state of the game but and he said look if you'd taken your two chances I think you would have been deserved winners but as it is you didn't and we took you know the one chance we had which is probably I mean, how it, it was. is a great cross and a great header it's a fantastic header it yeah. is my my only my only point to make on this is that Fredericks is so slow to get out there when it was passed. It was actually quite telegraphed. Well, I saw I I, I was going to come on to this. Uh, Forsyth obviously had a lot of time, and maybe there was only so much Fredericks could have done considering how far Fredericks' starting position was. But it was quite a lacklustre effort to make any real attempt. But then again, it's a brilliant header. Fredericks as well. could also learn how to cross a ball from Craig Forsyth. Well, yeah, I mean, we, we never see some Fredericks putting that kind of cross, do we? I mean, it was unbelievable, and, and Jerome just gobbled up. As soon as it left a four-size foot, you knew it was going in. Yeah, it really, you really, I don't know if it was maybe just in the stadium, but it was it was so evident that I was going to hit the yeah. back of the net. There was only one place for it. Yeah, absolutely. I think target gets absolutely dominated by Jerome, and if you're going to get, you need to get something in the way of it there. Even even though Jerome's climbed over the top of target, he he should make himself be felt more. He should do more to put, Jerome off and I don't think he'd done really enough there I think it's a sign of a of a guy that was probably a little bit distracted by the fact that he, sh- he could have been marking two or three others at that back post because it was there was two or three two completely enough, yeah. free yeah. if it wasn't Jerome it would have been it'd be one or two more um, Fulham I thought though started the game quite brightly especially against Birmingham I felt for the whole game I felt like it was out of our control and, and there didn't seem like any fluency to Fulham's play right from the first whistle but that opening half an hour against Derby on on Friday without wanting to use this phrase it felt like we had our Fulham back yeah I think we were much better there's a significant improvement in performance and we you know dominated the the ball for, for the entire game but even in the first half where we lacked you know, a slight impetus that we potentially gained in the second half. We looked like we were trying to play the right kind of football again, which is at least a start. And people didn't look, you know, there are the occasional moments where people look tired, but we didn't look absolutely, you know, ramshot, which is basically what we looked against Birmingham. And I think that in the grander scheme of things and, you know, moving on into that kind of second half of the tie, we've got to keep that impetus high and keep it, you know, from the off. And I think if we do that, then there's no reason that we can't, you know, put a couple past them at home. For me, the 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 performance at Birmingham all hinged on that Alexander Mitrovic chance that flew over the bar. I think if he would have put that in, then it would have been a completely different match. And I think the opening 30 against Derby was was actually really, really good um, from us, even though I was probably a bit delirious because I just had a pint and a half of blood taken. It was it was an absolutely... It was a good, like, rip-roaring sort of 15 minutes. I think we were passing quite well, but it's just the fact that as soon as Derby grew into the game, it sort of felt like Fulham were sort of resigned to at least letting in one goal. And then it came after 30, and then it was sort of like a kick up the backside for us and then obviously Fulham it took a few minutes just to cope after that Derby got their goal it, it seems for the rest of the first half there was a bit of a lack of clinical edge and, and I thought that the wingers going forward Aite and Sessegnon just offered very very little Sess quiet again and I don't know what's maybe he's playing it feels like Sess is playing a little bit within himself at the moment and I really hope on Friday he can find that spark again he seems to have lost you know that word the spark that he's had he's pretty playing, much since he came I think in he's playing too far wide he is miles too far wide because he's, he's he's usually the one making that diagonal run into the box or into Mitchell when he has the ball but he, he hasn't been making those runs in the last two games which is really really weird I mean as I mentioned earlier, that was what I thought our problem was. But we played really, really well until we got the ball to Mitrovic. And then Mitrovic didn't really have much service to do with it. Like, Kenny was too far off him. I know because we're playing more of a 4-3-3 than a 4-2-3-1 this season. And Aise and Sess obviously weren't that close. But, yeah, I thought probably Sess's worst game this season, I'm being perfectly honest. But, yeah, I thought I thought overall we, we controlled the game. We just couldn't quite get ourselves in the opportunity. I don't remember. We didn't really have many one-on-ones. If, if I remember correctly, apart from my Ite, he should be scoring that. I'm sorry, yeah, you yeah. have to bury that in a game like that. And obviously, McDonald hit the crossbar. But I think we just, yeah, we need to just, we need to break break up Derby's play a lot more and try getting these one on one opportunities. Because if Mitchell gets on a one on one, you're back into score any, any day of the week. And we'll probably get onto it later, everyone complaining about the short corners. But like, I don't have an issue with them, right? But if it's the last minute, no, 
No, yeah. Well, let, let's, let's come on. Let's come on to this now yeah. because it, it's it's an old debate, and we, it got to such a point, a little bit like the bets versus button. We just put it to bed because we couldn't discuss it anymore. And I think most people eventually got on side with the way we were thinking. I'm not saying that we are literally the thought deciders of the entire Fulham crowd. Should be. <laughs> we we <laughs> influence hashtag influencers. But I think Social most people eventually came round to the seeing why we do do short corners, but it went from the sublime a little bit back to the ridiculous on Friday. I think there's something to be said here about how short corners are used. Most of the time, I think that short corners work perfectly for us. Agreed that in the last minute of a game, they need to put something in the box and, and, and just try and chase it. That said, we did look vulnerable on the break. And if you've got that kind of height in there and the ball's just getting pumped back out last time, and look at what happened you know, in the, in the Birmingham game where we just really struggled to get any sort of traction from those. And, and it looked like on the break we could be vulnerable, especially with the kind of pace and, and power they have up front, especially after they brought Anya on, a spe- uh, on the left. It really did look like we had you know the potential to be really troubled on the break and if you're lumping balls into the box and they're just getting cleared away i can understand why that corner yeah. you know like routine short, is well, being taken i understand the purpose of short corners is ball retention and you only score like one in however many corners 15 20 corners but like you if we were, we kept taking short corners and there was nothing coming of it so surely something ticks saying okay maybe should we try something else or may, maybe maybe I think it's maybe just to mix it up. Yeah, once yeah, in a, yeah that's once what I mean. But while. even if it's a short corner, then the per, the, per, the person who gets the ball, whoever it is, should then then whip the, whip the ball and on so they have it on as more out in than it's right in the corner. But like, don't as, as good as it is to keep the ball, we weren't creating any chances out of this. A lot of the times, it end up back to our centre backs. Which yes, I know we still have the ball, but we need to be creating chances. And there's no you're not going to create chances if the ball's not in the box. Yeah, well, the, the main purpose of a work in a short corner is that you have a different angle. And we, even when we got that different angle of a different perspective of the box and uh, we worked some space, no one put it in the box. It was just a case of still working it around that right-hand side of, of, the, of the area most of the time. It, it didn't really do anything. I can understand why the majority of our fans are getting really frustrated. And I know towards the end of the game, we all were as well. It's not like we're, we're sat here saying, yeah, carry on with short corners because they have a purpose. But... And if we're going to do them, we have to do something better with them, especially yeah. in the closing stages of the game. I don't think we should suddenly start whipping every single corner oh, into no. the box. That's not, that's not what we're saying. It's just there needs to be more purpose to the short yeah, corner. I, I, don't, I don't have a problem with it mixing it up here or there. And also, look, you think about the kind of corner plays that we did, you know, the one that we scored against Derby last time we went around, we were at Pipe Park, where mm. the ball got lifted out to the edge and we, you know, we tried something different and it worked. And, you know, those kind of routines are, are really things that we need to be thinking about and, and they need to be working on over the next day or today and tomorrow we, that's what we that's, saw you know, in yesterday's semi-final how critical the set piece was yeah of when, course when but we don't, know, we don't have, we don't have like, that height no I know you don't have that height but I mean a set piece tactic that's been worked on the training ground because yeah, you saw that massive space because that was available in the uh, Middlesbrough box and then Yedinak just runs in gets a nod on it and I mean it's not like we don't we, all our players are small you've got, you got the likes of Tim Ream you've got the likes of Mitrovic you've got the likes if McDonald. Callis McDonald you've got the likes of, I know Callis isn't the tallest but if he played he's still got some height on him I think Callis would offer us a, certainly something different in the box to what Adoy does he's, he's much more physical than Adoy is and I think judging by all the tweets that were coming in and I was on tweets on Friday is that a lot of people are calling for that change in centre half of, of Adoy coming out and Callis coming in and I can see why because Derby are inevitably going to leave one or two very, very high and just try and break. And they'll probably go two on two, regardless of who our centre-backs are going to be that night. It'll be probably Cameron, Jerome and Vidra sat, sat one-on-one with our centre-backs looking to hold the ball up and create space. And, you know, it's just, for me, looking at it from a very negative angle, I can see tomorrow being very much a Fulham camped in, in Derby's half and then Derby pumping long balls out and try and go one-on-one. Uh, second half, I thought that Fulham did have some more tempo to that first half where I think we really struggled uh, to get a rhythm, especially after Derby went 1-0 into the lead. And it just so nearly paid off instantly. Lovely layoff by Mitrovic and K-Mac just spanks one uh, against the bar. And I think at that point, if that goal goes in, I mean, it would have been a real, real lovely position to be in because Cardiff would have, sorry, Cardiff, Derby would have really struggled to find a way back into that. Oh yeah, because they would have been on the back foot the entire game and that for them, it's a really confusing moment because they don't know if they want to go for it and get this two-one lead, but then leave themselves open at the back. Because I was worried about that ourselves. I was like, "Yes, we it is. We do kind of need to get a goal, but you need to be wary. It's a two-legged game. Like a one-nil deficit away from home in the first leg isn't the worst result in the world in a two-legged affair." 
But like, yeah, cause if we equalised, Derby would have been quite confused what they needed to do. Very conflicted because yes, they w- they want to get the home wins, give themselves an advantage to coming to Crave Cottage, just t- a place where we've lost since I think like October or something like that. Yeah, October. But um, yeah, I think if that if that goes in, it's a dim game, and I think we would actually run out two or three run winners in that game. And then straight after, we mentioned it just a minute ago, but Ayute is a wonderful pass. A great ping from Steph, isn't it? You know, Steph and Johansson. Steph had a terrible game, but that was a great yeah, ping. an awful game. Ayute should do a lot, lot better. And also, he has the quality uh, to do a lot, lot better, Floyd. I think ha- probably apart from maybe Mitrovic, that is exactly the player I would have wanted that chance to fall to. Do you not think? Sessegnon. Uh, Okay, maybe well, so one of those front three you'd want it to fall to, but I'm not sure Aite would be the best one in that situation. No, we've seen before that when the ball is coming over the top and he's running onto it, then he's he's likely to blaze it over the bar. And y- yes, it's you know there is there is something to be said for a ball dropping over his shoulder being quite a tricky one. It's a very difficult finish, but you're but right. He should he should get it on target at the very yeah. least. And you know even if that is one that he makes an amazing save out of Carson, then at least you've you know got the the threatening kind of aspect of it, and you never know where it might drop or all of those things. It's got to go on target, I think. That said, I think Floyd Aite, contrary to reasonable popular opinion, by the way, um, I thought was very strange. I thought Aite did quite well. No, I thought, he had, I thought he had a good game. He offered a lot more than Piers on did in the Birmingham game. And I thought he was he was much better than Sessegnon on the other wing. Yeah, was, yeah Sessegnon just, he was non-existent in the game, really. Aite what? picked the ball up quite a lot in Derby's half and sort of managed to you know, dribble around and, and take players on and seem to be opening up the only person, especially in the first half, opening up any sort of channels for Fulham. He was the only one that sort of, as you say, opened up any space or any sort of channels. But the thing that we really lacked was that overlapping run. And that didn't really feature heavily until around about the 60 minute mark when Frederick, you know, really sort of like came to him that he needed to suddenly um, overlap on, on the uh, on the fullback and it didn't happen in the first half and that was what really killed us I think that really killed our chances of getting anything out of that first half in that there was a five-man defence that was playing really really deep almost on top of Scott Carson and then on that left-hand side you had Andre Wisdom just isolating and out-muscling Sessegnon for, for the majority of the time he was on the pitch. To be it was fair, I thought Andre was going to have an amazing game. Yeah, I thought he I did thought as he well. Was, I thought he was the best player on the pitch. I'd be yeah, very surprised if he does it again on Monday, but I thought he was excellent on well, Friday. What do you think Andre Wisdom was the best p- player on the pitch? Because it was Curtis Davis who picked up the, I still the think I, th- I still think Wisdom was the best player on the pitch. I Davis did all right. Yeah, Davis, uh, was, Davis played was very good, well, yeah. but when I, when I look at Man, it's the player who, who stands out the most, who I notice in the game, because it... I know. I always wisdom was always on Sessegnon. He was he was controlling the game on on obviously hit their right hand side. And I thought for me, I was quite surprised that Curtis Davis got it. I thought Wisdom was very good at defending, very good going forward. And yeah, for me, he was definitely man of the match. Well, I think that I just want to get an overall picture, um, a bit of a conclusion from that first leg from you guys. I thought the perfect description of it were on Twitter. MJG Mike Gregg, a uh, friend of the pod, who described it as the best worst result we could have had and I thought personally that was the perfect way uh, of summing it up there was some frustration at the 90th minute but I think most of us will agree that it isn't a nightmare result it obviously one you know it's not ideal to be having to chase it going into the second leg here comes the next helicopter um, but Jack I think there's still plenty to play for I think without considering that away goals don't count in this tie it's I think it leaves the tie pretty much balanced to 50-50. I think that that's what it is now. There is a 50-50 chance of us going through. And that's, you know, giving us a lot of credit for our home form and, and using that as a counteract to the fact that we're 1-0 down. Like Dom says, if we score early, then it, you know, it could be a breeze. I feel, I feel like I've said that every single podcast. But, no, but even that, I think one of the things to consider is that someone tweeted this at us earlier and it doesn't matter if this game is 0-0 at 80 minutes you know we still have it has to be a positive and a you know a belief that we can score at home we will score at home and we're gonna you know really put it on and I think that if this place really does get behind the boys on, on yeah. tomorrow night then then I think me, that we will not, score it's not about us scoring it's not making sure Derby don't yeah yeah because as long as if we if we keep a clean sheet we're going through and Ben your 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 final thoughts um from Friday and 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 how positive you're feeling I'll, I'll ask you a bit more specifically about uh tomorrow's game uh, in a second but Thoughts on Friday was that I thought we deserved to come out of the game with a little more than we actually did, especially based on that second half performance. But Derby defended superbly after they went in front and they really did target our our weaker areas. And I think Rowett made some great substitutions that really nullified us, especially in the second half, bringing on Anya uh, to nullify the threat of Fredericks. Um, And I thought he he made some good changes, especially in the middle of the park, something that Jukanovic didn't really do until it was was much too late. that being said, I do agree with Mike in that it was probably the wor- 
the best worst result we could have got out of that game well um in a moment we'll be previewing tomorrow's game here at craven cottage it is looking so beautiful at the moment the sunshine is out and it's as gorgeous. ben mentioned earlier there is pretty much no one here i can see one lady walking through the riverside stand at the moment but it's just such a calming place to be uh, ahead of the storm tomorrow and uh, a man who will be whipping up that storm tomorrow is ivan uh, who's going to be on the microphone at, here at the cottage tomorrow and i caught up with him yesterday and asked him what kind of atmosphere he's hoping for tomorrow i mean it's got to be a massive massive atmosphere i expect it's going to be it's going to be absolutely packed and i think there's something obviously you know any fulham fan will tell you this but there's something about uh, nighttime games at the cottage by the river floodlights there's there's something incredible about that place then and i think with what's at stake i expect it's going to be um just a unbelievable atmosphere we almost we almost want it like kind of suffocating uh, the away team and the away fans. You know what I mean? It's got to be that sort of thing. Well, that's kind of what it was a little bit like on Friday for us Fulham fans. You know, the Derby fans were, were very, very good value, especially in the second half. And um, mm. you kind of had two cops either side of the away fans generating such a good noise. And, and with the flags as well, it was a very impressive showing from the Derby fans. The Fulham fans were good as well. And uh, I'm sure we could be heard by the players and uh, back home on the telly. But yeah, I think that yeah. we do need to step it up on Monday and really, really deliver something special. From where you're sat or stood um, in the dugout, Ivan, can you tell when the atmosphere's gone up a notch from the Fulham fans? Can you tell when it's a slightly more special night than normal? 100%. You, you really can. And especially recently, uh, the run we've been on, uh, the closer we got towards the end of the season and when we were challenging for automatics, uh, it, there really was a difference, a noticeable difference, and you can hear it. I mean, we're obviously dead centre. Uh, you can hear the away fans. Uh, you can both ends, really, because um, obviously the hammy end is a very, very noisy stand. Um, and uh, it, it's funny what they say, because they say that the hammy end can't hear the Putney end and, and the other way round. But recently, the hammy end's been drowning out the away fans, and it's been, um, yeah, it's been epic. And, and you can really hear it in the centre of the pitch, in the dugout where I am. Um, and uh, it, it, it does have an impact. I mean, I, again, this is going to sound the most cliche thing, but it is the 12th player at that point. Um, and uh, it's, it's so important. And I really, I really think it affects, affects, affects the team. And for for you on on Monday, you must be absolutely buzzing to get that crowd whipped up because it'll never be an easier job. You'll never have a more receptive crowd <laughs> than, than you will yeah. uh, on Monday night, as you say, under the floodlights. You must be you must be pumped to to get it started. Mate, I can't wait. I mean, it's the, these sort of games. When when I uh, when I took over on the mic, I sort of dreamt about games like this a little bit. Um, and uh, now we've got one on Monday, mate. I can't wait. I mean, the problem is, as a fan, I also I can't cope a lot of the time and I can't watch the game. Uh, I mean, I really struggle, uh, especially when, uh, you know, we're sort of holding on for a win, those few games where, you you know, you're right at the end and it's like, you know, we're winning 2-1 and we're just holding on. I, I, I go to pieces, mate. I really do. Um, and I've got a horrid feeling that it might be a bit like that on Monday. And so it's going to be... It's, it's going to be tough from my fans point of view if that makes sense from the fan in me um but yeah i mean the whole build-up i can't wait i mean that it, like you said it's going to be an easy job in a way um but one that i'm so sort of honored to do and i yeah i can't wait to to get them going i think it's going to be insane i think it, the atmosphere is going to probably be um the best uh, certainly in my time on the microphone the best that, that we would have had at the cottage without a doubt Huge, huge. And, 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 and Ivan, there's definitely going to be tension. I don't know what's going to happen on Monday, but I can assure you there's going to be some nail-biting going on. Uh, what was your opinion of the results and where Fulham stand following Friday? Uh, obviously, it wasn't the result that we wanted from Derby, but we're still very, very much in the game. And I think there's lots of reasons to be positive, taking just a one-goal deficit back to the cottage. Yeah, I think, I mean, I was gutted, absolutely gutted, as, as I think a lot of people were. We were hoping to at least get a draw um, and, uh, you know, hopefully even sneak a goal. But, you know, you're, you're right, it's half-time. We're 1-0 we're down. We, I think we've... Uh, not failed to score at the cottage. Um, the last time that was was the was it um, October last year? So yeah, Bristol City in the league. We've got Southampton in the FA Cup, but I think we can all discount that. 
yeah, we'll, we'll forget that. that. That didn't happen as far as we're concerned. But uh, yeah, no, I think uh, we know it's a place that, that, you know, we're on top form there. Uh, we can win there. We've won there so often this season. Um, they love playing their football there. Um, and uh, so I think you've got to look at it. You know, if we, if we go and if we can get, a, you know, an, a goal, you know, in the first 20 minutes, which we've done many times this season, and it's back to level pegging, I think we're in for such an incredible game. Um, I think the, the one concern is if they're able to sneak a goal. It was, I, as far as I'm concerned, it was all us on Friday, and we were very unlucky in the second half, and obviously Kevin McDonald smashing it against that post. Uh, and I think, you know, they were very, very defensive, and they're going to be very defensive again at the cottage, but I, I just can't see that, seeing them being able to uh, keep that up for another 90 minutes at Craven Cottage. I, re- I really can't. So as long as we don't do anything silly and they get two goals ahead, um, I think that, you know, we could easily... Um, um, we could easily win this thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, Derby put in a very, very resolute defensive performance. Curtis Davis yeah. uh, had one of the games of his life and kept Mitrovic very quiet. He, he's the key, really, for me. Yeah. This whole system does kind of know a lot of people say it works around either Sessignon or Kearney or McDonald. But for mm. me, I really, really think Mitrovic is the key. If he can get on the ball lots and, and bring the other players into play, then, then Fulham generally yeah. ticks so I guess we'll just Agreed. be looking for him maybe to get even if he doesn't score early on get 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 the better of some of the Derby defenders early doors and just give him that confidence because when he's at the top of his game and his confidence is up he's he's almost mm. unstoppable he t- yeah, totally and I don't think he's there aren't he hasn't actually gone um two games without scoring has he yet I think this would be well this be the first time yeah, so I think he's due. You know, this it would go against everything he's been doing all season. So I think, yeah, I think, and also I think again he loves it at Craven Cottage. And I think, yeah, if he's on it, you know, when the crowd's behind him, he's going to be all over it. And um, yeah, they did a very good job holding him back. And likewise with Cessignon as well, um, had a very quiet game. And you know, I think they they smothered him quite quite sort of early on. And and I think that we need to, you know, the next, um, you know, before Monday night, they need to you know, address what's happened there, I think, and maybe a few tweaks here and there, but I'm sure they're all over that as we speak, you know, working out a new sort of uh, plan of action in that sense. Um, and, a, you know, a way of getting Mitrovic out there and, and you know, very much firing on, on all cylinders. So, um, yeah, one thing I will say, actually, it got me out of a tattoo. I very drunkenly messaged that I was going to get a Fulham tattoo um, if Fulham won, and they didn't. So um, I, I got out of the, <laughs> I got out of a tattoo Okay. I suppose that's what that's one side of it. But um, yeah, I shouldn't be allowed to to tweet when I'm drunk. I don't think. Well, look, Ivan, it's such an important night on Monday for everyone. It's important for the fans. Mm. It's important for the players. Important for the coaching staff. And I think it's equally important for you. Let's build up a huge atmosphere on Monday. I know you'll smash it on the microphone as always, Ivan. Thank you for chatting to Fulhamish. Yeah, mate. Come on, your whites. It's going to be a big one. It's going to be massive. She said, do you love me? I tell her only partly. I only love Tim Ream and Matt Target. I'm sorry. Hello and welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. My name's Sammy James here with Don Betts. Hello, hello. Ben Jarman. Hello. And Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. Uh, so I want to give out a few thank yous uh, at this point of the podcast. Um, obviously, thank you for listening as ever. And we, we love all your comments and your uh, and your mentions that you give us on social media, especially about the uh, the podcasts that we do. And it is always really, really appreciated. I appreciate my fan mail this week. Yeah, Dom got loads of fan mail this week. Uh, most of it positive. Uh, I got a shout as favourite podcaster on our Instagram. Oh, did I think you? That's one, one, one now. Oh, very, very one nice. Please. One for Sam. One and, for and also thank you for all your ratings, which Sorry, you know keep on uh, flowing in on, on on iTunes and also on Facebook. It really does help us uh, bring this podcast to as many Fulham fans as possible. A couple of other thank yous. Uh, thank you to Fulham and Carmelo for letting us record here at Craven Cottage today. I know you can't see where we're recording today so maybe it sounds a little bit pointless but we hope it just gives you that kind of pre-match atmosphere uh the ambience uh ahead of the game we'll and take also, a picture and also today uh, we're, we're recording the podcast on brand new equipment uh, that the, the podcast has managed to buy uh thanks to things like the labbrook sponsorship and also um big shout out to jack's dad uh, who managed to uh, get us a little bit of a deal uh, on some of this recording equipment as well. So to Jez Collins, uh, we've got to give a big, big thank big you. Big up. 
man like Jez. Big uh, up Jez. Uh, that, was, that was a real kind gesture for, from him to uh, help us get this equipment. Uh, so let's have a look ahead to tomorrow. I want to also thank you for, for Ivan for that uh, wonderful interview, uh, really whipping up uh, the pre-match fever. So Is we're going to sing like tomorrow, like the, the derby. Well, I, I told him that I want him to go, you but he, I don't think he's going to do it. Boring. Boo. That's what I say, <laughs> Ivan. Boo. <laughs> you can do it. Pro, pro old Ivan. I think like uh, yeah, all these... Tell Ivan to give me a call. I'll come back pretty much and just grab the microphone for that one moment. Ivan wakes up at three in the morning every day to do heart up and down the country. And he normally listens to this on his way around the M25 uh, about 4 a.m. Quite often I'll get a text at pre-six when he starts his show saying, really good podcaster, Dan. I'll wake up bleary-eyed like, what is this? Uh, as a man that used to do breakfast hours, though, until uh, quite recently, I do appreciate the pain. Anyway, tomorrow, 7.45, we're here at Craven Cottage. And, and I think the main thing to point out here, Jack, is that we've just got to be the 12th man. The Derby fans were very, very impressive on Friday. You've got to give them yeah. some credit. And, and so were the Fulham fans, but especially the home support on Friday was good. And just there's, we've got to put all of the negativity, all the differences aside tomorrow, and we just have to whip this place up into a fever. And I'm sure we will. Yeah, 100%. I'm very much convinced that Fulham fans will, will get behind Fulham tomorrow, as, as they well should. And it's just a question of not getting frustrated, I think. And that's the where it comes into its own. You know, obviously, everything that Fulham do isn't going to please every fan. And, you know, it's kind of one of those things, whether you're a fan of us playing the ball direct up to Mitrovic and watching him hold on it, whether you're a fan of short corners or long corners, all of these things don't really matter tomorrow. And, you know, even if this game is nil-nil at 85 minutes, it's got to be positive it's got to be you know behind them and, and yes we're all frustrated we know how frustrating it can be to be a Fulham fan and at the best of times but this is you know these are the best of times and we've played really well for half a season we've shown our class across numerous games and Jokanovic has shown that he can make the right decision the decisions about the club and about tactical moments our players have responded in times of need before you know think about Tom Kearney last year against Leeds you know those kind of moments are the moments you live for and it doesn't matter how late it comes we need to you know, believe that this team is going to do it and I think that if we're all on that same wavelength then this place will bounce tomorrow night and we have beaten no disrespect to Derby who are a good side and I don't think get quite enough credit uh, especially in the past month or two but we have beaten better sides than Derby here at Craven Cottage by a two goal margin you look back at Wolves you look back at Villa especially that in that period of six games where we just started beating every team that came here so there, there's got to be belief amongst everyone that we can overturn it Dom yeah 100% we, we know this place has been a fortress probably for the first time in actually a while I know we did well last season but we wouldn't it was our away form that got us into the playoffs. And it's the first time pretty much since maybe Hodgson or Hughes, really, that this place has been a fortress. I wouldn't even say under, like, Hodgson it was. Yeah, like, it was. We won under loads. Hodgson, it was, it was fantastic. We went, like, 10 or 12 games unbeaten here. I always think it's the... There was, a random, Hughes, it was, there was a random season around 2006, 2007 where we were actually fairly terrible. But the home form here was... There was one under Cookie, yeah, I think. where we we didn't we didn't win an away game. I don't think we yeah. we won every, every single we one of our points at home, and we finished mid table. Yeah, that was that I, was. I a feel good like that's one of the scenes where us and Villa were seeing who could draw the most games in the league. Yeah, I think. But didn't we draw a game with Villa that season, three all? Yeah, yeah, but I think, ma- magic I mean, game. I think the season Pablo like the season we stayed up. No, it's I, don't, I know it's going a bit off there, but the season we stayed up when Dempsey scored against Liverpool, we only won about eight games that season. It was like, and we drew about thirteen or fourteen. But yeah, we, if this place we know we we know we we know we're comfortable. You can argue the last two games because it's been at another team's ground. That I mean, our away form has been amazing this season. It's provided some of the greatest away days in a long, long while. But uh, you got you got to back us here, and as I said, like you got, I think pretty much the whole entire stadium sold out. It's not a new. It's the, the Putney, thankfully, it's not a neutral end. It's just a pure home end at the moment for this game. And I think yeah, I, there's no reason why we can't do it because as long as Derby don't score, we're going through as far as I'm concerned because. We know how to score here. We they know especially, especially in in the second half we, when we're attacking Hamilton. We know we're gonna we know we're gonna score, and I think it's just it's just all about the mental aspect for the players that they know they got thinking ahead. We're winning this game. Not they 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 don't they mentally they need not feel worried. They need to think we know what we we can do here. We know we can win this game. We know we're 90 minutes away from Wembley. Um, ben. 
if Fulham do manage to get that early goal or you know even midway through the game goal, we manage to get it back on level terms. Yeah. I feel like Derby on the counter will be the the main threat to Fulham. And Gary Rower said after Friday how he was disappointed that Derby didn't t- make more of those chances on the counter, and he wasn't really that quick to praise the team. That was the main thing that was concerning him afterwards. So he may be tweaking on that in training over the next few days, knowing that a goal on the counter could seal this tie for Derby. So what can Fulham do to make sure they're not vulnerable? Well, for me, it would be a case of probably um, making sure that the fullbacks don't push up as far as they usually do. And in terms of being a little bit more conservative in wide areas would be a good way because Derby always seems to break high and wide with uh, the likes of Weim and Vidra. And then in the second half, we saw Anya as well. I'd also like to see perhaps... Um, a, a bit of a change in midfield. I, I perhaps like to see Norwood in there instead of Johansson because it means that there's a little bit more defensive uh, diligence in there as opposed to someone that's just trying to push on as much as possible. I really like Steph and I think he's he's played some wonderful football in the past sort of 10 or so games and he's got us through some hard periods. But that being said, these last few games he's been quite off the boil and we want to get the best out of TC and we want him to get the best out of him in advanced areas. So I think I I would quite like to see the introduction of Norwood, actually, probably next to or slightly in front of McDonald, just to try and keep hold of the ball. And if Derby are going to fall back in on themselves, to try and unlock them from a bit of a deeper base, because I don't think Steffi Hansen is going to do that. What, would you start Norwood or bring him on? I think I might start him, actually, which is a bit of a wild shout. I don't think Steph will do well under that much responsibility in, a, in that bigger game. He's sort, of lost, he's sort of lost himself in the past couple of games, and I'm a bit concerned about that. That said, one of the main kind of concerns we had at Derby was that we didn't have enough players getting around Mitrovic, and we know that Steph does that. We know that Steph, especially at home, likes to buzz around the striker and sort of make himself a nuisance. And yes, he's a little bit of a liability, and yes, you know, we... We know that he can make mistakes and he doesn't necessarily cover as much defensive duty as Norwood. But if we're really looking to push on early, surely Steph has to start around the striker. Well, yeah, I can completely see your point. But I think my main concern tomorrow is that they will probably look to counter and we need to nullify that threat somewhat. I think another good way that we can probably look to sort of nullify that again somewhat is the fact that if we get our wingers closer to Mitrovic in, in the fact that they play for it at the back, you could almost go man for man on those centre-backs and try and stop that out ball. Anything you have to worry about is the wing-backs, but with a, with a slightly more conservative wing-back from a Fulham point of view, you might be able to stop that. Yeah, I thought in the last two games, the reason why we haven't played that well is because our full-backs just haven't been playing the way they usually do. Yeah, There was such lack of overlapping. I was like, target, get down the line. Yeah. Fredericks, get down the line. Because on, on tomorrow night, I'd lo- I want to see Cess, Aite, whoever the wingers are, on Mitch, like literally yeah. on Mitrovic, yeah. so we're playing not off with a left wing, a right wing, and a striker, but not three strikers, but you know, two inside, inside forwards, forward, yeah. two inside forwards. So he has, and then you have the wing base over that because we're playing at home, and that's the way we've been successful this season. That's the way, no reason why we can't continue that. Yes, you can say that leaves us liability defensively, but that's how we've been playing all season. So why is there a reason to be more conservative now in the games we need to be playing the fluid stuff we've been playing all season? Yeah, I think you make a great point. I, I, I was thinking on the way down here in the, in possibly even changing the whole back back line to more of a back five and going with three at the back that just sort of you have one that can act as a sort of like half centre back half wing back sort of hybrid role probably be a doy and then reintroduce Callas and then just have if they want to keep two up there up top just go Callas and Ream and you can always have McDonald's drop in like he does yeah we haven't necessarily been that successful with that formation before, though, and it would be a very, very risky manoeuvre to switch off. No, I, I, I wouldn't. I, can't see slash yeah, no, I, I wouldn't be against the idea of reverting to it later in the game, like if if we need a goal or if we're trying to shore up the back. I wouldn't be against it. Like I can't remember what what home game it was, but we brought on Norwood and Callas, and no one had. A cl- I think it was Leeds, and no one had a clue what formation we were playing. Yeah, yeah. Mm. but it worked. Sort of. We've sort of ended up playing a diamond, which is never a good idea. Oh, yeah, but it sure, did work fantastically. Sure, Cavanaugh and LVC would love it. So it did work <laughs> fantastically against Millwall, and you know when we were a little bit, um, we were looking for it, and and Callas was able to break out. When the he made that to, unbelievable run, yeah, th- turned into stor- Franz Beckenbauer, yeah, storming <laughs> through the pitch and play and played in the mid Indeed. So what what changes then, if any, do you think a we will make and b we should make tomorrow? Then I seen it on Twitter, and I don't, I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, don't know if I'd make it personally myself. But there's an argument to play Christie and Fredericks. But if there was an argument to use it, surely it would be in the Derby game. 
when you know they're going to be coming. It's a, it's a very good point because obviously both players know how to, how to defend and how to attack. Well, well know how to defend. See, Fulham's resident Irishman yeah. absolutely gearing up. Yeah, no, gearing but I mean up. the thing is the thing is with that they can both swap around yeah. in the game. They can both one can then go back to full wing back. One can then be playing on the wing. But I don't know. I think I feel like it's not about who we play. It's about how we start the game because it, it for me it hasn't been about we certain players haven't well, apart from Piers on at Birmingham. It hasn't been that players pulling their weight aside. Just been they haven't started the game in the right in the right place mentally. They haven't started in the right manner. And I think if we start the game playing our stuff instead of playing so conservatively early on, if we actually go directly attacking Derby early on, I think that's the way to go about it. I don't know if I would make any changes. I know it's only a few days away, so I would actually, if I was, I would probably drop a doy and bring in Tom Callas. But also, there's there's an argument you can actually drop Fredericks and move Adoy to fullback because there was one p- point in definitely the definitely wouldn't do that I, I wouldn't potentially drop Fredericks but I definitely wouldn't put Adoy at I right back I don't, I don't because there's an Irishman on the bench no it's not it's because <laughs> it's because Cyrus Christie offers the same kind of impetus that Fredericks does yeah. he's potentially slightly better on the ball he's not as quick obviously but he he does seem know, to have more of a kind of there was that one one run that Adoy made yeah no I agree which with was you. better than any run Frederick made the entirety of the ninety minutes yeah no I, I agree with you but I think that if Adoy is going to play he's going to play centre back yeah I, I think I, it's I, kind I, of and if I think Callas should be playing because I think we need a taller centre back against the likes of um, Vidra and Jerome it I just seems a bit it just physical. does seem a bit rogue though to be making changes in this kind of a magnitude I, of a game I don't think I don't think Slav will no we know we know Slav won't but what change would we make not what change would Slav make well there was there was there was two Slav won't make him, Slav will not make him. Yazon might start, I think. Oh, please, can he not start? <laughs> he did quite I think well he will. Game, I really I think do he think he will. Because he'll, he'll be the guy that gets close to Mitrovic. And he, as we've said, in, I've said on, on as many times as you said, if Fulham get an early goal, we'll win. I've said Piazon plays in those close spaces where he can get close to the player one twos with Mitrovic. I think he'll start. It's just as I really re- do. It's just recently with Piazon, and he doesn't score, I don't notice him in the game. Yeah. Although, as I said, he came on and did well. Yeah, no, that's, that's the what first time I've really um, noticed him yeah, doing Yeah, and he's not using the impact player. All we, need, all, we need to make, all we need to make sure is Cavano's on the bench. And I really really think Font should be on the bench. Yeah, I because know. Because he's, he's sort of... I know he hasn't been that great this season, apart from Ipswich away, but he's that player who's got that ability at the end, at the end of a game, who can just open up the fences and if he comes on at number 10 he's going to be so much closer to Mitrovic than Kearney would and he's a striker so he would bury chances uh, if all, he scored I think he would go absolutely if, mental if Fulham are 1-0 down and uh, <laughs> like with 10 minutes to go and we bring on Font I don't even know if I want to witness what the hammer is yeah I like, always feel well, like with Font as much as I love the guy and I, uh, I really do love his attitude I think if we bring him on he always feels like he's at least half a yard behind everyone else like he doesn't have a great command of the ball. He doesn't seem to seek out spaces or create space much. The only thing I'd else. say is that he could potentially come on for a you know for a Johansson figure if we're chasing the game. Drop t- t- TC because TC's playing deep anyway, right? TC is picking yeah, the ball off in the old in the old Johansson role. TC in general for me is playing way too deep at the moment. In yeah. all forms, he should be way further up the pitch. He shouldn't be playing next to McDonald. If you look at the heat map of both of them, they're pretty much yeah. playing as a as a as, as a, a duo. pivot. Yeah. I agree, but I think that if he's going to play there, there's no harm putting on Font as a 10 to actually sit in front of him, and, and I think that might work as a potential concept. And if you, if you, if you have that, let's say, you're going to have three players in and around Mitrovic if, we're, if, you, if both wings are playing as in, inside forwards. I'm going to make a controversial statement and say I'd put Ryan Cessna on the bench. I don't blame you. I, really don't, I don't think that's that controversial at all. What given game was it that he started on the bench and came on? Norwich away. Yeah. And then changed the game. he changed the game. So I wouldn't. I'm not against the idea of dropping Cess. When we just cause, just because he's been our second best player of the season, right? There's he looks no very tired. And, uh, yeah, yeah, that's what I was say on yeah. The there's point. no reason why he needs to start. He started every single. He's played a part in every single game this season that's been like I've written. It's been in the league. So what does mean number 48? There's no problem with him being on the bench. I also am inclined to agree on Cessignon. I think that he has offered very very little. For me, in the last couple of months, I think Millwall is the only time I've really... And I'm not just going on when Sess has scored. I just wonder if he's playing within himself. And I said that at the start. He just doesn't seem to be getting any outlet, doesn't seem to be creating many chances for himself. It's not like he's missing chances. He's not really getting any. And he's not whipping crosses into the box either. I just... I, I do wonder I think, if he's I think the problem here, 
it, there is that, but his, his problem recently has been he's just been too far out wide. Yeah, I do. I do wonder if it's assessing on himself or the fact that other teams are actually managing to push him out so wide that it just isolates him from everyone else. That's certainly the case against Derby in the first leg. Because he's not. Birmingham. He's not a chalk on your boots kind of winger. No, he's not. He's like he's like an inside winger. He's an inside forward, and yeah, the further out it's you the push, him. Pedro. But then he still <laughs> does great. have he swapped rings at, wings at one point against. So he's Derby. so he's definitely the English Pedro. He is then. the English Pedro. Yeah. yeah. But only Pedro from the uh, 08 09 season is he? <laughs> that's the only Pedro. He there's lots of different Pedros. That's the exact Pedro. Um, Ryan Sessegnon is. There's lots of permutations and combinations that can happen tomorrow, but one likely outcome, to be honest, is it we're going to Wembley? Yeah, uh, extra time and penalties because obviously there's no away goals in the playoffs. Um, I've seen a few people still asking that on Twitter. Like, can we just get this? Full step? stop. There's no away goals. There goal. are no away goals. So if it finishes 2-1 to Fulham tomorrow, it's extra time. If it finishes 1-0, it's extra time. So basically, if Fulham only win by one goal, we have an extra half an hour to play. There's no golden goal or silver goal bollocks. It's just half an hour extra time. Golden goal's great. I great like limbs it. from Kam- if Kamara comes on at that um, point, by the way. Who will cope better... First of all, with extra time, I'm not even going to try and address penalties, but who will cope extra better with that extra time? Penalties on a bench. Well, okay, let's assume it's a normal bench. So I was listening to the extra podcast on the way down here and the guys from Steve Bloomer pod said that essentially Derby have got one of the biggest squads in the championship and that they've been utilising as, as, um, as much of it as possible in the last sort of month and a half, two months. And then you get out of the squad in comparison to all the rest of the other teams in the championship is actually comparatively thin and in and, I'd hasn't, like to, been, I'd, and hasn't been used I'd like to echo uh, I was going to say I'd like to echo Nick McNee's tweet from Friday night or it might have actually been Saturday morning where he said we've been playing the same 15 guys for the past four months and he makes a really really good point and it's the truth that we suffered with this at the end of last season as well I don't think we look halfway near as tired as we were when we started to play Reading in the second half of the playoff uh, semi-final but I do feel like if we go an extra half an hour, if we haven't used our substitutes well enough, that we will be there to yeah, be taken. Yeah, I feel like the players you're going to need are going to be the players who are going to stretch, Darby. Like the, uh, Cabano, Kamara. Has to be there, Cabano, I think, Cabano, if it does go Cabano, to extra time. Like Cabano and Kamara are going to be very critical if it goes extra time because you're going to need players who are going to stretch the defence. Yeah. You, when you go an extra time, technical players are great, but you're going to need the dynamic players to get into positions to set up the technical players. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a nightmare for Richard Keogh and co. If you've got Kamara, who you literally just can boot a ball down the pitch and he generally will get there before you because he's so, so quick. Moving on to penalties. Uh, this is just a bit of an interesting curveball I'm going to throw out there. Who are, okay, including the subs benches, who are your five penalty takers? Well, Norwood's first. I don't think anyone else. Oli, Oli's first, definitely. I'm going to say Mit- Mitrovic. Mitro. Sess, I think Sess could take it. He could handle it as well. Yeah, he'd. L- I think he'd cope well, with pressure. All we know is Tim Ream can't take one after Newcastle away last yeah, no, season. K-Max taking one for me. K-Max yeah. could definitely take one. K-Max's the kind of player that will bang it down the middle. That's fine. Johnny Walters style. Yeah, 100%. It worked for Johnny Walters. I feel like Adoy would take one. What, what, what about might take what, one. A, what about TC? Yeah, no, I mean, I think I he's going to have to. He's going to have to, I, know I don't want him it. to. It'll go, in the, it'll go bottom left. It'll go bottom left. That's all we're here to do. He's going to go across the body. It'll make it so obvious. And Scott Carson will tip it around the post. Potentially. Oh, so can we talk about Scott, Scott, Scott Carson? Only like 32. Yeah. How was he only 32? I don't know. He's been, he's like, been around for years. On Twitter the other day, is that like, Will for the in, betwe- <laughs> in between is as older than Scott Carson. Like, what, how and why is that a thing? <laughs> he has been around forever. Right. Uh, we've got a little bit of time left in the show. And I think we should pop over to the post bag, uh, of which, of course, Jack Collins is always in charge of. He's brought it all the way down here as well. It must ages, be a DHL page just flying yeah, a, in now. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there we go. Actually, there's a there's a Union Jack uh, sailing boat just coming down the Thames. Just what we see. Probably a Union Jack. That's Nigel Farage's on it, throwing <laughs> fishes <laughs> into that's the Thames. That's, that's Dom's boat's back. Farage is throwing fish into the Thames again. Classic. Right, what's going on, Jack? There's a really good question here from Jeffrey Allen. So I'm going to start with this. He says, "Has have Fulham become too reliant on Mitrovic and thus less creative around him? And has Mitrovic become too reliant on his signature move, holding the defender off with his back to goal, then trying to turn and shoot? If so, will Slav be able to do anything about it by Monday night? Sammy, I'll start with you. Yeah, Uh, yeah, he does keep trying that trick, which worked an absolute dream against Wolves. That was the the game where he nailed that, didn't he? Backed into the defender, turned, shot, goal. Uh, And ever since, he has been trying to repeat the trick. But then again... Brentford as well. Kind of did it against Brentford. 
not for the goal, but for, for the majority of the game. To right, back yeah. Into but it does, w- I mean, that is literally how Kevin McDonald's chance was fashioned on um, Friday. Curtis Davis um, and Andre Wisdom dealt with it very well by the hole. They just managed to get a foot in every time. But I wouldn't try and stop it because the tactic does work. I just think that the other players, the midfielders and the wingers, need to get closer to yeah, him think, in order for it to the, work. I think that's the main point with it. it. It works, but only if the other players contribute to the tactic as well. Mitrich can't do it all by himself. So you need it. To, to, you need the other players to be coming closer to him. So when he is backing into defence, he's there to lay it off to them. Instead of him trying to turn the player every single time and trying to have a shot himself. Like we saw that it worked with the Ken McDonald chance at Derby. If Cess or Aite is a lot closer to him, it's going to work. That's just that's simply how it happens. So yeah, I think I think there's there's no reason to change it. It just I think the other players need to contribute to the tactic more. Yeah, I don't think like it's been it's not a telegraph move, although it is a case of it is a signature move, but I don't think it's anywhere near um being ineffective. I think what is what is ineffective at the moment is how much support he's actually being given by the players that are surrounding him and that needs to change. I don't think our over reliance on Mitrovic well, I don't think we over-rely on Mitrovic at all, to be honest with you, because we fashion chances for all, all parts of the pitch. You saw that with McDonald's chance. You saw it with Vaito's chance. You know, we also have the likes of Sessegnon on with 15 goals this season, and we look a more cohesive unit with Mitrovic out there, to be honest with you. I think the point may be, given the context, is slightly critical of a player that has dragged us through games where we've needed him to, actually. I think the point is valid um, for... In, in slight contrast, I think that look if you look at the game, we spent a lot of time trying to play the ball into Mitrovic's feet, even when it wasn't working. And yes, Cesc, uh, yes, K-Mac's chance was created from you know Mitrovic being able to hold the ball up. But the amount of times where we went for that pass when there might have been a wide ball on or, or something. And I think that in the last two games, maybe we've just thought, let's play the simple ball into Mitrovic's feet rather than looking for you know the clever overlaps, which are potentially been the ones creating goals you know earlier down the line and yeah while Mitrovic's back to goal technique has scored worked against Wolves and, and like we said just against Brentford you know his other goals have a lot of, a lot of them have come from touches in the box and good crosses and, and us working the ball down the wings really well and I don't think we did enough of that well, and you know think, we touched on it the fullbacks aren't helping with that no of course not they're but not overlapping in the last two games I have no idea why they're not if doing it if we get to the byline generally we score earlier in the season I remember Ben and I specifically having this conversation on the podcast of why aren't we doing what worked for us last season? And then, as if they listened, within the next mm. kind of two or three games, Frederick started getting to the byline. So did Sessignon. And then suddenly we started scoring lots and lots of goals from it again. And yeah, you're right. In the last, you know, <laughs> three to four weeks, <laughs> was that a sneeze? Yeah. Um, it seems like you were just floating away. I was trying yeah. to get away from the microphone. Oh, um, I, we've stopped doing it. And unsurprisingly, the goals seem to have dried up no i completely agree it's you know one of those things i think that there's another question here which is you know partly related to that. actually there's two one of them is from eden gordon who says fredo seems to lack the confidence to take players on in big games and his touch goes as well yeah. do you think he doesn't have the mentality to perform on that stage and would you be starting christie instead of as a result so i'll take that one first you know what, i'm gonna go for this one because i completely see the point that he's making here if you look at three games in isolation millwall birmingham and derby first leg of the playoffs He's been terrible in all three of them. Literally, the first get, the first 20 minutes against Millwall, he got three balls past him and miscontrolled it three times. He really didn't like the atmosphere. Against Birmingham, he was absolutely terrible, and I'm really, really surprised he lasted as long as he did. And against Derby, first leg, not good enough either. I feel like, for me, Fredericks' head is somewhere completely different from where it needs to be. I don't know whether that's because he's signed from someone else, he's got contract negotiations over his head, or what. But he doesn't seem like the player that's going to play and drag us through the big games. If I were, if I was, if I was Slav, if I was me, I would, might, I might actually be looking at putting Christie in instead of him. In oh. fact, I think I've come to the end of my tether with him. I even treat, tweeted it out on Fulhamish um, this Friday. We've got Ryan Fredericks playing like Brian Fredericks out there tonight, and that got quite a lot of likes. <laughs> Brian, Brian Fredericks, Brian Boydweeks. Uh Yeah, I, I just think that. Ryan's big game mentality doesn't seem to be there. And Millwall, I think, was the most alarming. Admittedly, it was a 3-0 win, so these kind of small points get glossed over when you've got such a good second-half performance like that from, from the rest of the team. But he made a mistake within the first two or three minutes against Millwall. He just I miscontrolled it or something like that. And, of course, the entire of the den just went mental. Uh, and 
I remember saying to whoever was next to me, head's already gone. Head's already gone. And I was thinking, oh, prove me wrong though, Fredo. Prove me wrong. And he really, like for the next 15 minutes, he seemed to really struggle. And, you know, they always say, um, you know, in, in lots of sports, get a, get a good tackle in early. Show them you're there early. And, and Fredo, because uh, it, it has that mental effect on, on the opponents. And it seems to be able to get inside Fredo's head. And, and I wonder if Christie would cope better with that pressure I think he would and I think he's he, he's playing Derby he knows majority Not, I'm not saying he knows the way they play inside out but he can, he's probably he's probably more aware and he's, he's got a point to prove better than he knows Middlesbrough anyway he's yeah. coped you know reasonably well in well, numerous internationals when he came on against Birmingham he's one of our best players I agree but, he's, but also like Cyrus Christie has played in you know, numerous internationals backing up you know and coming on and coming in to replace Ireland's far and away best player like he's had to do a real job there and, and bear in mind you know how good Seamus Coleman is taking the captain's armband and all sorts Christie coming in to replace him did an absolute job and, and really did impress there and, and I think that that kind of shows that he can st- like step up on the big stage can't wait to see at the World Cup. Yeah, yeah, good one. Yeah, yeah. And Ryan I Fred, thought Ireland's best well. player was Wes Houlihan. Wessie? Yeah. Well, let's not talk about Wessie. He's retired. and bring a tear to my eye. Uh, what's next in the post bag? Sorry, that was a low blow, actually. Was it it is not. It's just Unca- funny because they're not going to the World Cup. Uncharacteristic from me, that. Hmm. There'll also hmm. be no Titan Army in Moscow. Yeah. No, also, I'm, I'm, you can have the fucking post bag. Scotland, <laughs> no Northern Ireland, no Ireland, just England. <laughs> just a proper country, innit? <laughs> Um, the, the other question which is related to that is this is from Luke Johnson he says do you think the reason that Matt Target's not been as good recently is down to the improvement of Southampton and does he realise he's likely to be playing in the Premiership no anyway? he, just, he just hasn't been fit the last three games <laughs> yeah like, it was a bit of a weird question but I, I thought I thought in relation hang on, hang on. Can, no, 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 so let's, no let's take this in context for a second because we've just talked about the fact that the fullbacks aren't getting round and doing their jobs properly in that regard is a reasonable question to suggest that <laughs> potentially Matt Target is going okay I know, obviously I would like to be here but he is a Southampton boy through and through and he would be absolutely delighted yeah, to see him like stay he, up they're acting like he's, uh, he's now going to get in over Ryan Bertrand the, but Ryan Bertrand's gone his, he, I mean that's that's a done deal Ryan Bertrand will not be at Southampton next year yeah, but, City. but I know but the thing is I no, I just think I just think targets hasn't been fit for the last three yeah. games I think I, that's, in the that's con- why he's not been good yeah but okay yeah, but I think in the context in the context of what we've just said about the fullbacks not pulling back is not the most ridiculous question Putting in the world two and two together and getting 68 it is because it's different it's a different case of Fredericks and that target because Matt Target just hasn't been fit, yeah. whereas Fredericks has, and Fredericks just doing his usual thing and bottling it in a big game. Like you most of the Target was fit on Friday. You don't, yeah, he, he was I, getting there. Yeah, he's getting there. He's still not one hundred percent. In comparison to Birmingham, he's come on leaps and bounds. But he's still not one hundred percent fit. I mean, it was it was just our play. Our forwards weren't performing because of, because of a tactical thing. You know, our players weren't overlapping and doing what they've done all season long. I was amazed to see Target do as well as he did on Friday. Fair, to be if honest, we, if we want to get Matt Target, we want them. We want Sapham to stay up. Yeah, I agree. Because I if Southampton went down, because I think they need like a fourteen-goal swing or something stupid today, but like it's going to be harder because obviously Bertrand's definitely going to go then, and then it's, they, get, they know Matt Target's a solid championship player. They're not going to want to sell him. Well, I think Southampton are playing right now. I haven't heard any signs of a fourteen-goal swing. I'm just checking the scores now. All right, okay. Here's a here's a more fun question. This is from Alex at Pure Power. Um, he says, "Flags or clappers?" One word answers, please. Depends Fla- what flags they are, really. None. Would you rather have flags or clappers in the Hammersmith? Oh, flags. Flags. None. <laughs> That's not an answer, Ben. Flags. <laughs> I don't think flags Swansea one nil up. Yeah, but it l- yeah, but clappers are oh, just no. Here's a good question, right? This is going to be our final question because, well, because we're running out of time, probably. But this is from Gary C at Gazadexy forty. He says, "If we don't win tomorrow, how do you all view this season? Is this an improvement on last season no. or a failure?" It's a failure. It's just it's just not. It's okay. We've. It's not an improvement because we're back to where we started. We have not. We're not any better off than we were pre-season last season. If we don't go up, we we, we were expecting to go up the season. If we get to Wembley is an improvement, even if we don't go up. It's one that you can. It's, I mean, as a f- it's from great. a fan perspective, yes, but not from actually analysing the football, right? Because we're just back to where we started. Still, we're look, still we back to where we started. If you look at Sheffield Wednesday, they had two playoff seasons in a row. Where are they now? Yeah, I, as much as I love to remain positive, this season has to be a failure. And the club will view it as a failure because there was one objective this season and it was to get promotion. I, th- I hark back to that 
championship preview it's pod. It's a failure to be in the playoffs, really, from a, from the club's side. I, I, I mean, obviously, they would have wanted automatic promotion. I'm not sure. I don't think failure. I don't think you mean as a. I don't think the club mind how they go. Wanted to be. I don't think the club mind how they go up. It just matters that they go up. I think this season it was like we need to go up this season. Yeah, it has to be. I think everything's riding on it, and and so many players and the manager will be gone. That's the main reason why Danny Cowley in this (laughs) one. Why this season is so imperative, and and it hangs really in the balance. Of course, we'll be there next year, and I'm sure you know Tony Shahid, the rest of the club will find some way. Paul of Kisdale. making a sen- uh, success of next season, no matter what happens in the summer, but it can't be viewed as anything else. Also, other than you, can it be both? Yeah, no, I uh, think it can I, be I both. Saw this I question, think it could be an improvement. No, no, no. I saw, I saw this question last uh, on Twitter earlier. I think Michael Cox said, "I agree with both." Yes, you can argue we've improved, but it's still a failure. But for me, it just—if I'm if I'm looking at it just simply, it just isn't a successful season or a good season because we're back to where we started. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm playing devil's advocate. I think it's probably both for me. I think both is the sensible answer. You can be like, we've improved and we've seen some magical moments, but it ultimately is a failure because we haven't been promoted. And I think that's kind of a bottom line of it. But it's an interesting one to throw out for the debate. I think it's that personal thing between what the club views as a success um, and what the fans view as a success. I view it as a good season because I've had a lot of enjoyment watching my club and we've won so many games and we've put in some great performances in that, in that case I'm a satisfied customer that's been coming to the ground I'm I sure also want to go up because so, I can't be asked going to Blackburn again <laughs> <laughs> this can't be, I can't be asked we've lost Burton and Barnsley and we've got Blackburn yeah but I mean, there's no northern aways in the Premier League I don't next get, season yeah but we've got Blackburn it is the one of my most Newcastle hated away up north Sam yeah, I know, but it's very, very few. It's a very I southern mean, Premier League. If, I mean, I d- with the playoffs, as long as Charlton don't go up, it's fine if we stay down because Rotherham's a good away. But well, I just do want... Yeah, like, the, Valley has, the Valley is an incredible ground because you can drink in view of the pitch. I don't care. <laughs> I don't want... I can't be honest with another London away. Two's enough. Three's enough for me. <laughs> like, just... Although Mill was actually quite fun because it's like not on the underground or whatever. But no, like, I, if we do stay down, we need Scunny or Shrewsbury to win the playoffs. All right, well, I think that is our lot from the podcast today. Um, Thank you very much for all your questions, as always, uh, and thank you for listening. Thank you to Ivan uh, for chatting to us, and as I mentioned before, thank you so much to Fulham for allowing us to record at Craven Cottage today, and thank you to the many uh, planes and helicopters that have decided to get involved. Big up Cafe Pacific. Yeah, into into (laughs) that. Shouts out the DHL plane. I didn't know so many helicopters went over Craven Cottage. It's it's literally like they use it as a... my six is around the corner, in it? Yeah. Literally use it as a beacon. Anyway, uh, we need to name today's podcast. So, Mr. Jack Collins, what are you thinking? All to play for. All to play for. Very, very nice. Well, thank you for listening. Fulhamish will be back on Tuesday evening doing another pod, win or lose. Please be win, but even if uh, that is our season over, uh, we will be there on Tuesday, probably crying uh, into the microphone. I'll be drunk. <laughs> I mean, I've worked at what 4.45 in the morning on Tuesday morning so that, yeah. should, be, that should be great if we, if we so uh, you'll win. be junk as well yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so thank you very much for listening today uh, much appreciated to Don Betts thank you it's alright Ben Jarman thank you thank you Sammy and Jack Collins as ever thank you to you thank you very much see you soon come on you whites come on you whites whites this is a public service announcement Get behind the boys.